article is 10 nutritional or 10 nutrition myths expert. Wow. 10 nutrition myths. Myth? <laughs> it sounds really funny when you say it. But it's myths. Myths. Myth. It sounds like you have a lisp. <laughs> 10 nutrition myths. But it can't be myths. 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 You have to say th and s. <laughs> 10 nutrition myths. Expert wish would die. Okay. So, <laughs> thank you. I got through that one. But So oh, number gosh. one is fresh fruits and vegetables are always healthier than canned, frozen, or dried varieties. Oh. So this is actually myth number one. So Do they you talk know about off the top of your head why that's a myth? Because without even reading that, I know you've already read it, but well, I I know for a fact that you know frozen vegetables are cut when they're fresh and then flash frozen, so they're in theory supposed to maintain a lot of the same nutrient content as fresh vegetables. You're listening to the Addicted to Fitness podcast, brought to you by Elemental Training Tampa. Now, here's your hosts, Nick and Shannon Birch. Thanks for stopping by and checking out another edition of the Addicted to Fitness Podcast. We're on time this week, folks. On you know, time, back again. Yep, so we're back in the groove. Sorry about last week. You know, it will happen time to time. Uh, it's only happened a handful it's of times. It's not happened very often. Over six, seven years, however long we've been doing this podcast. Over 350 episodes. And it's only happened on, I think, less than less times than I can count on one hand. Yeah, so. it's definitely happened, like, Maybe three times, so, which is impressive. Yep. We had a perfect storm. I wasn't feeling well. Um, Shannon wasn't feeling well the following week. So and then we already gave you guys an old school episode. So we actually ran it back, and uh, I was pretty happy with what we got out to you guys last week. There was a good episode of us being interviewed on the Rocky Snyder, the Rock Fit Files podcast by Rocky Snyder. And uh, and it's we're going to return the favor, and Rocky's going to come on the podcast very soon. So... Nice. Thank you guys for hanging with us. Um, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. We've got a good episode for you, I would say. Uh, a great, not good, great. Um, we're Aren't they do... always great? Like, yeah. Don't we always strive to deliver greatness? Of course. Yes. I think, uh, I think we uh, maybe uh, we set our expectations low. And then at the oh. end, at the end, we're very <laughs> impressed with ourselves. So... There you go. Your approach. That's a great endorsement, guys. That's going to keep you guys listening. (laughs) Uh, But uh, we are doing a kind of a nutrition-focused podcast today, which is always, you know, some of our highest-rated episodes are when we talk about nutrition. So uh, this one, we're going to this week, we're going to talk about some nutrition myths and why they need to stop uh, being circulated amongst people. Yes. So, um, but before we do that, uh, once again, thanks again uh, for listening. And if you haven't done so already, ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast apps are much appreciated. Helps us uh, reach a broader audience or a wider audience. So you can help us grow the uh, listening audience by just leaving a rating review. Simple, easy peasy. Mm-hmm. Do it. And also, please support our sponsor, The Amino Co., by visiting aminoco.com slash ATF. You can read all about their products and what we think about their products on that website and use the code ATF at checkout to get 30% off. So, on to training recaps. I know, um, I would say <clears throat> we should probably do the previous week's training. <laughs> 
ones I remember. At least for you, because I think, yeah, uh, I don't know if you remember, because I think this past week, was this a, a wash for you this past week? How'd no, you do? I, no? Did, I did three days. Mm-hmm. Nice. I did, I got on the bike once. I did Pilates one morning. I did yoga another morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, I had a head colds. Slash chest colds, so that always knocks me down. But mm-hmm. I didn't. I feel like I bounced back pretty fast. Like I feel like it was under a week from when it really hit me. Right. So I take that as a win. But um, yeah, I did still opt to do something to keep moving my body, mm-hmm. uh, and. It was only on the nights when I really slept crummy that I just couldn't get myself going. Yeah. But this week has inspired me to do some other things in my life to get more movement into my day, which we will uncover for you in future podcast episodes. Oh, wow. Well, so. That's a nice little tease. <laughs> so um, my training was pretty good this week. Um, got to jujitsu twice, um, and I uh, I think I did the intermediate class twice this week. I'm trying to remember. Do you not yes. normally take that class? What's that? Do you not? I usually take, take once a week, but I think I actually got in twice this week, um, and so that was good. Those are usually like. A little bit more intense, obviously, as you can imagine, or median. More intense, so, but that was good. Um, and got some lifts in. Uh, I had a disappointing trip to the gym. Disappointing? The LA Fitness Gym uh, that I go to. Um, because, as I've said on the podcast before, one of the main reasons I still have a gym membership there um, is because of the pool and the sauna. Uh, I have been lifting more weights there like recently, so pretty happy about that. Um, but... I uh, went, I had one day to go, I went, and the sauna wasn't working. So I was extremely disappointed, crestfallen, if you will. And um, I I just kind of worked, used the pool and stuff, so I still got some out of it, but I was a little bit disappointed, I'm not going to lie. Wow, they better get that baby back in action. That's right. So... Um, I think uh, I might try another location uh, just to try out uh, their sauna facilities and possibly cold plunge facilities. So I'll keep you up to date on that, guys. Um, But, yeah, I think all in all, good week. Um, I've still yet to get spinning shoes to get back onto the Peloton. I really, (laughs) really need to do that because I'm missing that in my life. Um, So I need to get on that. That's probably this coming week, hopefully, for next week. You can order them from Peloton. I know. I know. Maybe I should. Um, maybe for next week, what's got me pumped? I can tell you about my new shoes. <laughs> maybe you'll be pumped about your yeah. new, your new shoes. So this week's episode. Now training recaps are done. We're going to jump into the main uh, topic of this week's episode. Is the common nutritional myths? We actually, I uh, I finally did it, and I'm sure Shannon. Hopefully, uh, there's not something I uh, took didn't couldn't take advantage of, but. I subscribed to New York Times just to get this article. Oh, really? So, um, yes, because I couldn't find it, and I was, um, I was, I couldn't get a like log on and see it. Um, I guess I used too many free uh, 
articles yeah. or whatever. So I was like, all right, well, I got to read this. Um, so they keep <clears throat> sending me stuff in the in the in my email on a daily basis. Some of it's good, so I might stick with it. We'll see. It's so the, not a lot of money. The t- the the uh, title of the article is 10 nutritional or 10 nutrition myths expert wow 10 nutrition myths myth <laughs> it sounds really funny when you say it but it's the myths myth it sounds like you have a lisp <laughs> 10 nutrition myths but it can't be myths 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 you have to say the and s- <laughs> 10 nutrition myths expert wish would die. Okay. So, <laughs> thank you. I got through that one. But so oh, number gosh. one is fresh fruits and vegetables are always healthier than canned, frozen, or dried varieties. Oh. So this is actually myth number one. So do you they talk know about, off the top of your head why that's a myth? Because. Without even reading that. I know you've already read it, but. Well, I, I know for a fact that, you know, Frozen vegetables are cut when they're fresh and then flash frozen. So they're, in theory, supposed to maintain a lot of the same nutrient content as fresh vegetables. Correct. Um, yeah. So, but also it kind of, and I think they talk about in this, in this, I guess, the, the, this the under myth number one yep. is that uh, sometimes dried and or canned fruit especially can be stored in syrup or have added sugar. So it's not necessarily always um, better to have that opposed to frozen fruits or vegetables. Yeah. So, yes. So, so the this says is, fresh fresh fruits. Oh, but that actually, I that guess that makes the argument. That confirms the myth. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's the, the common conception mm-hmm. or perception that people have about this. Is oh well if it's canned it's probably high in like sodium or sugar if it's you know same thing if it's in a jar um, and God knows how long it's been frozen or whatever so the truth of it is that actually you can get good quality food especially frozen yeah and if it's from a good quality producer then they are picking it at the height of its ripeness, right? cutting it up, and the flash freezing process does sort of, it's kind of like, think of like cryogenics, you know, just locks it all right there. Yeah, so what I should have said is that you should guys keep an eye out for any of the jarred or dried fruits because they might have added things like sugar. Yeah, that's where it gets sneaky. But you can find, like, there are some dried fruits, particularly if you get, like, the bulk fruits. Mm -hmm. You can find some there that don't use sugar as an additive. Some of the dried berries, it's really hard to find. I remember looking for, like, cranberries. Oh, cranberries are tough because They always have sugar. Because they're very sour. Yeah, it's true. true. Because they are not, like, Mm -hmm. a fruit that we would eat if there wasn't sugar involved right so if you're trying to increase your uh fruit and vegetable uptake um but don't want to hurt the budget maybe check out the frozen section all right on the myth number two uh all fats is bad and you know what i felt like uh, when i was looking through this article and looking through the myths i was like i feel like we've addressed almost all of these in a past podcast episode so 
I know we've uh, we talked about some of the trying to differentiate the different types of fats, the saturated fat from monounsaturated fat, polyunsaturated fats, and that and more and more research is coming out, and I think more and more people are realizing that we need fat in our diet. Yeah, fat is is crucial for a lot of things, including like hormone production. Um, so eliminating it from your diet can really cause some 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 serious issues. So I think like the craze back. I remember when I was young and my mom like was in the trying 80s to eighties and nineties. Yeah, followed the low fat diets or the no fat diets, uh, and you know trying to uh, uh, eating the snack wells. I mean that that really I, f- I feel a lot of people realize or saw the the byproduct of it is that we didn't get much healthier as a country. Um, so, um, I think we, we realize that fat is an important macronutrient. Um, some, I wouldn't say, I don't want to put them under the umbrella better than others, but you can have more, more types of certain types of fat opposed to others, you know? So monounsaturated fats, like what you would find in, uh, olive oil. Some really good health benefits. Polyunsaturated fats, some really good health benefits in things like uh, uh, fish or fatty fish. Um, but, you know, saturated fat, even though, you know, there is some research indicating that it could be linked to heart disease, um, there are some, like, within reason why some saturated fat is also beneficial to health. But it's also, it's it, on a lower, on I would say, is volume scale less than the unsaturated fats. And trans fat, that one you got to get out of your life. Yeah, those are that's no bueno for anybody. So the idea that all fat is bad is uh, not the case, uh, and I think more and more people are starting to realize that. So get that one, get that myth out of your uh, mind if that's what you're thinking. If you guys are uh, subscribed to that, so number three, calories in and calorie out is the most important factor for long term weight gain. Interesting. Well, they say weight gain. I know. That's what I'm thinking. The Which most I important... feel like most people do calories in, calories out for weight loss. Mm-hmm. It's a shifty one. That's right. So it says it's true if you consume more calories than you burn, you'll probably gain weight. Um, and if you burn more calories than you consume, you'll probably lose weight, at least for the short term. So what I'm guessing they're trying to reference that is that your body is going to go, it's going to adjust. It's going to try to seek a homeostasis or uh, an equilibrium, if you will. So if you're ingesting a certain amount of calories, especially a low amount of calories, your resting metabolic rate is usually going to meet that intake. Yeah. So for that's why it's talk about short-term weight loss. Um, so if you're trying to mitigate, I guess, weight gain, you got to factor in the fact, or you have to consider the fact that, you know, after a while, calories in, calorie out is going to be somewhat of a challenge to maintain. Um, so, I mean, you might do things, there's things called reverse dieting that I've heard people talk about, um, where you actually eat more calories than you normally do to kind of get your body to go back up to start burning, you know, more calories and then you drop it back down. Um, but from someone like myself who you know, gained a good amount of weight and then lost a good amount of weight and has been able to keep it off for the last 15 years or so, I think the key is um, not only, you know, being conscious of what you're putting in your body, what kind of calories or how many calories by maybe doing periodic food tracking, um, you know, monitor your weight if that's a concern of yours. Um, Obviously, we're talking about weight gain. Um, But you also just need to, I would think, 
focus on eating more of a nutrient-dense diet. And I think that was kind of what they were alluding to in this portion of the article, that it's not just, you know, the, what, how many calories, it's what type of calories you're putting in your body. So something that fuels your body, that also kind of hits all the, not only all the macros, but all the micronutrients, um, is helping you uh, perform and by perform, maybe helps you burn those extra calories you knew to need to maintain your weight, um, and also helps you do the things like uh, sleep well, or uh, uh, or just you know uh, gives you the right mental attitude, things like that. I mean, food can have that effect on you, affecting your mental health too. So yeah, so that's uh, that's what they were talking about more so in the myth. I mean, obviously, uh, I, I am a believer that if you're someone who's looking for weight loss, um, focusing, trying to minimize the details, you know, just break it down to uh, a numerical formula of calories in, calorie out, for short-term weight loss could be good to at least get you on the right track to realize what kind of, how much calories you're putting in your body. Um, but long term, that's a hard way to live to track for your, yeah, for, for the rest of your life. But it gives you a good education of what you're uh, putting in your body and how much you are and then how much you're burning too. Um, so I think it's a good in the short term, but long term, it's kind of, it's like Shen says, it's not sustainable. So uh, myth number four, people with type 2 diabetes shouldn't eat fruit. So I myself have never had type 2 diabetes, but I have worked with clients that had it. And it's always an interesting, um, from what I've gathered from them, is that it's it's not about, it's more about kind of the net carbs is what they can really eat. Um, and usually net carbs is kind of total carbs minus fiber. So one thing with fresh fruit that you get a lot of is fiber. fiber. So now there are some fruits that are higher on the glycemic list than others. Um, bananas, pineapple, uh, the tropical fruits. Uh, but things like stone fruits that are like berries, peaches, um, nectarines, those are actually really lowly on the glycemic list. And since they already have fiber, almost act as a very low to minimum carb impact for a type 2 diabetes, person with type 2 diabetes. Yeah. So, I mean, they, I don't think a, uh, I don't believe any doctor that treats people with type 2 diabetes, unless it's something very severe and they're hyperreactive to fruit, um, would ever tell them not to eat uh, fruit. I mean, that's... It, I'm going to go on somewhat of a tangent, but I mean, uh, there's, you know, there's always new fad diets out. And uh, one that I don't think we've explored in depth here on the podcast, we've mentioned, but uh, the carnivore diet, which is essentially, as you can imagine, is just eating meat. And there's some variations um, that talk about how detrimental eating plants are, how detrimental eating fruit is. Um, I could like to put that under the, uh, label of poppycock, um, or it's, uh, it's also, it should be going under those myth categories in my opinion. But I think, I don't think, uh, anybody is going to, uh, suffer, um, unless you have a very certain allergy to fruit, um, yeah. you're not going to suffer from eating fresh fruit. Like in this, in this myth here is kind of a indicator, especially people with type two diabetes can benefit from the, the fiber and the, uh, the, the total carbs or net carbs that are produced by certain fruits, certain fresh fruits. Not so, all fruits are created equal. Yeah, exactly right. So, I mean, like you said, and we just mentioned, 
that the tropical fruits they're 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 extremely uh, high on the glycemic list, so they can some buy a spike. Them. Yeah. Sorry, that was Eon. <laughs> um, some of them, but like dragon fruit is considered like one of the best fruits, low on the glycemic index, and they say like even people with diabetes type oh. two could eat it. Interesting. It's very very low. Yeah, I think, uh, oh, what's one is, oh, um, watermelon. Yep. I think I've heard watermelon is essentially a zero, like, net car because of all the water it has in it and the fiber. So, when I mean, yep. you get a good watermelon, it is tasty. It's delectable. So, number five, the myth number five from this article, plant milk is healthier than dairy milk. As we said, yep. we've talked about this. I actually just looked it up. We did a oat milk taste test. I think we've done multiple ones. This only has the only one I have is oat milk. I thought we did a coconut milk one. We did a couple seed. We, we made we seed made milks, right? Some homemade ones that so, you are not a fan of. No. So we did some research. <coughs> um, so like the oat milk taste test was from February eighteenth, two thousand nineteen. Um, but we've done several. I mean, research essentially non dairy milks multiple times in the podcast and. The one thing we've always kind of find uh, found is that especially things like nut milks, like almond milk, uh, soy milk, well, not soy milk, but almond milk, and then the other irradiation, like oat milk also, not very nutritious. Um, yes, they don't have lactose in it, but especially as far as um, protein-wise, definitely lacked protein that regular dairy milk has. Um, obviously, probably lower calorically, but they don't have any, like, really, they're not fortified with nutrients like dairy milk is. Uh, you can find some where it's been added, but a lot of them are not. We have found one. Yeah, that was that, a reference. I want to go for it. Yep. Yeah, that, that actually is high in protein, um, which is the pea milk. Right. Yep, pea protein. Mm -hmm. Pea protein, and that has been that was actually the milk that we introduced to our daughter, in place of just doing cow's milk because she does actually get cow's milk at school. Uh -huh. She does get cow's milk other place in her diet, but as someone who was lactose intolerant, I learned how over reliant on cow's milk, like the American diet is. And how that really has, I mean, a lot of people have sensitivities, if not allergies, to cow milk. Right. And I was, like, very, very dedicated that she was going to learn to like some other kind mm. of milk. And we found one that she likes, and that was it. Like, But I think it's, it is, it's also knowing not all plant milk can just be called better right and like think about we've also talked on here about how some people have a really big reaction to oats in terms of blood sugar mm -hmm. some people do not if you are a person that does and you are using oat milk instead of dairy milk in your morning latte because it's supposed to be quote-unquote better for you well you could be doing more damage so think about that, and and it's just like kind of how much you know about yourself, right? And how you react to certain yeah, things. Yeah, true. And also, they put a lot of fillers 
in the the non-dairy milks. Yeah, yeah. Which is the thing that kind of grosses me out the mm-hmm. most. Uh, so myth number six, white potatoes are bad for you. So I think that most people realize, you know, a potato is what I've heard historically the number one, like the the most popular vegetable in the United States. It's not a vegetable, it's a starch. Anyways, it's come, it's <laughs> under the vegetable category. But um, a lot of people vilify it because <clears throat> probably the way it's consumed the most is through french fries, right? So um, I don't know that to be true, but I feel... but. Regardless, you know, French fries. The, the it's not necessarily the potato that's the bad part. It's the fact that it's fried in Deep oil. Fried, yeah. yeah, exactly, and covered mostly in a lot of salt. Um, so that's really the bad portion. A potato, a steamed potato or a baked potato. I mean, it has tons of fiber. There's a lot of nutrients in the skin of the potato that you can't get other places. Always and, goes back. You should eat the skins. That's true. But. And also, there's even things called the potato diet. Uh, there is a somewhat famous uh, magician, you know, Penn and Teller? Yeah. There's like one, the really tall yeah, guy. Yeah. Uh, I think it's Penn, Penn Gillette, the really big one from the Penn and Teller. Yeah. He basically lost a ton of weight by just doing the potato diet. Literally, all he could eat was a baked potato. Like for the first, whatever, four weeks of the diet, you can only eat potatoes. Wow. And essentially, then, like, you're able to, then, after time, you're able to season them and do them different ways. But it's, like, this weird, like, diet where you just eat potatoes. Well, I mean, haven't there been populations of the world that have oh, essentially yeah. survived on potatoes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly right. It's, it's not something you want to eat for the rest of your life. But, yes, it actually can sustain you for a bit. Yeah. So, I mean, they talk about in this portion of the article that... Uh, obviously frying is not the way to go, but you can also do some healthier methods like baking, like we just air said, frying. roasting, boiling, and you nailed it, air frying. So, Which I do still want we to need to get. We need to get one. Yep. Myth number seven, you should never feed peanut products to your children within the first few years of life. Once again, Literally the we opposite. talked about this on the podcast, I'm guessing it must have been five years ago, six mm-hmm. years ago, probably well, six yeah, years ago. Yeah, I think ago. it was even beforehand because mm. like you were absolutely set yeah on the fact that we were not going to have a child who was had a peanut allergy and you're like here eat peanut butter like throughout my whole pregnancy i know which i'm not i have no problem with because peanut butter to me could be like its own food group i can't find it but yes we definitely because we uh i feel like we talked about it or i wrote about it on a blog article but uh, I think it was the Academy of Pediatrics yep. right around when Ella was born came out with a new basically research topic or was a study talking about how trying to expose children to peanuts by, you know, earlier on by the, like six months, as early as six yeah. months. Um, it was I, one of the finger foods that our pediatrician recommended. Right. And they say, I mean, they don't, they try to limit kids. They tell kids that maybe have already have severe eczema to stay away from it because that can be reactionary or they could have already have a predisposed allergy to it. But most other kids exposing them young could help prevent allergies later in life to peanuts. I mean, we're really fortunate that she now goes to school that allows peanut butter and peanut products. But, I mean, I've heard a ton of people with their kids can't even, you know, they're eating sunflower butter, which Mm-mm. I just will not stand for. It's not the same. No. It's really, it's not, 
Like it's not a nut. It's <sighs> it's it's not. It's mm-hmm. just not the same. We've tried. We've tried to make. We've tried to make that too, and no, right. no. <laughs> so myth number eight: the protein in plants is incomplete. So <clears throat> once again, we've talked about this before. Um, yes, there. Uh, it's true that there aren't a lot of plant proteins out there that have all the twenty essential amino acids. Um, but if you combine them, certain plant proteins, you can get all the essential amino acids. So, like if you combine, they give a good. Uh, they give a good reference. So, if you combine beans, grains, and nuts throughout the day, you can get your complete amino acid profile. If you're looking to go, you know, be a Vegan. I guess vegan or vegetarian, right? Yeah, that was I guess that was vegan. what I did when I was vegan. Right. Lots of beans, lots of nuts. Mm-hmm. Like things like flaxseed. I mean, like I was using one of those items essentially in all of my meals. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, like you said, it's uh I think it's more efficient to do from animal sources if you're talking about efficiency, getting it, you know, getting all the amino acids at once. But it is doable to do it, you know, the the plant based route. So uh, don't let them fool you. I mean, I'm I'm a meat eater. Or I'm, I mean, I'm an omnivore, really. But I I do. Um, I don't want people to. Uh, I don't want misinformation to get out there, regardless of what my preferences might be. All right, eating soy based myth number nine: eating soy based foods can increase the risk of breast cancer. So this is an interesting one because I've heard about uh, stories about, you know, the intake of soy products possibly uh, increasing breast cancer. I mean, they talked about some real, it was one, I believe, one research study that talked about men specifically drinking soy milk or how much they could increase breast cancer. But, and they talk about in this article, it was a a mouse-based, I think it was a mouse-based study, so it wasn't related to humans. Um, and they've actually talked about in this article how it was in humans, it's somewhat contra- uh, the opposite, that they've had research that support the ingestion of soy products to help almost safeguard against certain types of cancer. So, yeah, um, it's like it, I think it's one of those things. It's it, you, you with with nutrition research, you got to take everything with a grain of salt. Read the study. Read what they did. Was it an animal study? Was it a you know double blind? Was it a clinical trial? Was it observ- observational? Um, so that kind of speaks to the strength of the study. Um, so you can't just believe every article that <laughs> headline that comes yeah. out. So um, according to this, you know that it is not. We shouldn't, as men, be afraid of soy products. I don't particularly like them. But that's that's shouldn't deter me. I know you're a fan of it, um, and I've done it. And I've had it when it's done right; it's good. But I don't seek it out. That just happens to be with you know has nothing to do with me, um, you know, being worried about breast cancer or that you uh, grew up on a soybean farm. True, uh, I just don't particularly <laughs> like it. Um, so, it, but it does have beneficial aspects. Um, so if you, uh, I wouldn't say don't be fearful of it because you think it may cause cancer. Well, also Um, one of the other things that like, I feel like soy got a really bad rap because back when I was a vegan, I was going back, but all of the non-dairy products were made with soy, mm -hmm. all of them. Like nowadays 
There's tons that are nut-based and pea protein-based and all these different things. Soy was as good as it got in the first, like, early days mm. of vegan products. And everything was made of soy. And not just soy, but a lot of it was highly processed soy. Right. So it was also, the like, the fear, I think, was there was so much soy. And I know people with soy allergies. That's a crap allergy because soy is in a lot of things that we yeah. don't expect. Well, I mean, yeah, they use it as essentially, it, it's like a, a food additive. Yeah, I mean, know? it's... Think of like soy as in like soy sauce. Like it can be used to salt things. It can be used, I mean, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I mean. Like but so it's it's in a lot of things. Soy but oil. That is, I think the, the overuse and like over promotion of soy products and process, like over processing of soy, all led to this time in history where soy was like really vilified after yeah. that. I agree. Um, it's just like I said, it not only was it used for food products, but it's been used as like just even grain to be shipped in as an export, you know, and they've been using it as part of ethanol production, things like that. So it's just been it's a one of those monocrops that kind of I feel like growing up on a, a farm, a soybean farm, uh really kind of changed the whole agriculture in the United States. But that's a whole nother topic. Um Myth number 10, the final one, fundamental nutrition research or fundamental nutrition advice keeps changing a lot. So kind of speaks to the last, the, the previous one I was talking about, about uh, research, um, how you have to kind of decipher research and don't believe every headline. Um, there are some tenets of nutrition that have always hold true, you know, kind of the calorie in, calorie out, how many calories per gram of protein, fat. Uh, uh, carbohydrate, uh, the fact that you do need uh, a certain amount of daily required or daily, your RDA of certain vitamins or micronutrients. Um, so all that stuff is holding true. Um, the United States government have given out certain dietary recommendations for probably 88 decades now, going on probably not back to the 1950s when they first came out, which I guess that's more than seven decades. Uh, but um, they really have been, you know, kind of really a baseline of recommendations of not, of dietary recommendations to help essentially people just, uh, survive, you know, like they, they, they're not concerned really with optimizing people's health. They're just re helping, uh, really concerned with giving them the, the basically the basic tools they need for nutrition and how to maintain their nutrition. And, you know, they do have programs online like my plate and things that can help people calculate their macros and micros. But I don't think they, uh, that the advice uh, has really changed from the, the, the government. It's changed from a, a bunch of different sources, you know, I mean, the different diet fads and how if you're eating paleo or vegan or carnivore, things like that have definitely changed it. But that's that's not the advice from the, uh, the governmental experts. So, um, and I think dietary and dietitians, you know, have a lot of the same um, uh, education that they had in previous years. And it's always evolving, I think, but I don't think it's going to be drastically changed from, um, you know, 20 years ago. Well, not the fundamentals, no. like the fundamentals of 
these foods do this with our bodies and are used in our bodies in this way, that is basic science. Now, Mm -hmm. what is changing is people's behavior around food, how some foods are vilified, overused, you know, have these diets where you go on really restrictive diets where you're cutting out a bunch of different food. Also, food quality is going down. So, you know, even the food that like, you know, the plants that we're growing, the crops we're growing have less nutrition in them than they did, you know, 50, 70 years ago. Mm. That's fact, but that's not the fundamentals. Like that's like the change in our planet and how we use food and our culture. And that's always going to evolve. Right. Because we're always evolving. But the basics of nutrition stay the same. Yeah, I agree. Um, So those were some of the myths that hopefully you guys no longer have to uh, subscribe to. Um, So now um, we were pumped to hand that, uh, deliver those messages to you. And now we're pumped for this next part of the podcast uh, like that we like to call What's Got Us Pumped. Yeah. Only did it in three or four pumps. That's right. Uh, what's <laughs> got you pumped? You're gonna do one. What's one. got you pumped? Um, this week I am pumped for an alarm clock. Nice. I say that was a question mark because it doesn't sound really exciting. And as I was like, like I'm excited for it, but I'm like, oh, this does not sound sexy at all. <laughs> but yeah, it's an alarm clock. Now, I will tell you the type of alarm clock I got, but I don't think that I would have had to have gotten like this specific brand. I think it's more the fact that I got an alarm clock that's outside my phone. Mm-hmm. Now, I've tried like I tried like the the light alarm clocks, you know, that wake you up with light. Yep. It's supposed to simulate the rising of the sun. And wake you up gently, pull you out of your sleep state. The truth is, my sleep is a big old mess. It is because that's the stage of life I'm in. For whatever reason, you know, whether it's getting sick or aches and pains or the fact that my child wakes up five times in the night, whatever it is, like, you know, I don't have probably the perfect sleep rhythm and every little thing that I can do to optimize my getting to sleep and staying to sleep and like pulling me out of my sleep in a, in a friendly way. Uh, I was all for it. So that's where I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to get suckered in by these things I've seen. And I got an alarm clock that it's, it's a Bluetooth alarm clock it's super simple. I mean, it's literally on the face of this thing is just the time. You can make the time go away. You can you can play sounds on it. But ultimately what it does is it gets you off your phone. So I don't have to fur- worry about like setting my alarm, making sure all that's done. I just press a button or I just like I just set that schedule and it's done for me and I don't have to spend a lot of extra 
phone screen time, which I do way too much of, late at night and early in the morning. Mm -hmm. That and the fact that it has beautiful, like, sounds to wake up to and it's not jarring and, like, makes me want to hurt something, which loud sounds in the morning really do make me violent. So it has nice, quiet bells that wake me up instead. Yep. And it's such a more pleasant way to wake up. It's a simple thing. But I I feel like I, I snooze less with this and I wake up sooner. If I snooze, I actually do get up versus just shut it off and don't get mm-hmm. up. Gotcha. So nice. I do feel like it has been a positive, a positive impact on my sleep routine. I'm very happy about. Good. Pumped for it? I'm pumped. Nice. I'm pumped for another, also a piece of technology that we got at the gym recently at Tampa Strength, and that was a AED. Uh, don't I gotta say automatic EQ defibrillator? I don't know what the E stands for. Basically, we got the paddles at the gym. Um, we never had one. Obviously, we're CPR certified and AED certified, uh, but we didn't have an AD. So um, as far as life-saving training goes nowadays, they essentially just tell you to get an AED. Um, They don't even really teach you the breathing, the rescue breathing anymore in CPR certification. Um, They essentially teach you the compressions, but they also teach you how to use an AED because they say that is the go-to thing. If somebody goes down, goes unconscious, doesn't have a pulse, uh, the best thing for them to do is to shock them um, in most cases. so. Luckily, the automatic AED, uh, it is really foolproof. Um, it walks you through everything, tells you where to put all the stuff, tells you just push the button and tells you when to shock the person or if they're ready not to be shocked. So it's very kind of uh, uh, foolproof, but it's essentially a, a piece of equipment that can save somebody's life. Hopefully, we never, ever, ever have to use it. Yeah. But... Um, it's something that um, it's good to have. that it's good to have, and we we took the took the initiative to invest in it um, to to make sure that we were basically protected against any of those. Hopefully protected, and hopefully uh, if the, a situation arises, that we can help somebody. Yeah. So stoked cool. for that, pumped for that, pumped to be giving you guys an episode on time this week. Um, so appreciate that. Appreciate you guys sticking with us listening to the podcast, sharing the podcast, giving the rating and reviews. Uh, follow the AT, the podcast on Instagram at the ATF podcast. Got anything else for him tonight? No. This has been another edition of the Addicted to Fitness podcast, and we'll check you next time. Bye. For all things Addicted to Fitness, you can check out our website, addictedtofitnesspodcast.com. You can also give us a follow on Twitter, at the ATF Podcast and like and follow the Addicted to Fitness Podcast Facebook page. Last but not least, please give us a rating and review in the iTunes Store. Thanks.